grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Here we go. It's time to rip. The fall season is before us. There's no backing up. There's no backing off. It's a season for maybe the first time in three that we get to run unabated into the fall. More people, more activity, more focus, more routine, more structure, more Jesus. And every year since 1883, this congregation has risen up to support families, to support educators, and to lead students and their families to Jesus. And this week we kicked it off. This week we got up and we got after it. We welcomed our teachers back. We'll be installing them in the 1030 service. We got all our summer maintenance pretty well done. And what we don't have done, we're finishing up this week. We're drawing a very successful summer day camp to a close and students will be let go in the afternoons and come back to school. Our teachers are getting after it, the bulletin boards are going up, the campus is filled with life and activity. We had a very solid staff retreat who I was uh, surprised when the gentleman said he had grown up as a part of the Medellin drug cartel and uh, it was awesome, it was fabulous. Matter of fact, we may want to have George come and preach for us. He is fantastic. Everything seems to be gathering momentum. There's a different level of activity. There's a, a little different something that comes into our heart. And then Heather reads that scripture from Luke chapter 12. And it's kind of a downer one. You're kind of like, wah, wah. Jesus said, I come to bring division, not unity. In essence, he's saying it's going to be hard. It ain't going to be easy. You think it's going to be easy, you want it to be easy, but it's, it, ain't, it ain't going to be easy. Those words are painful to hear. Do you think I have come to bring peace on this earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Are you kidding me? Jesus the teddy bear? Jesus the uh, animated character for Disney? Jesus the kind-hearted grandpa? Jesus the cuddly, the easygoing? Jesus the blankie? Following him, following just like going to Disneyland. You go in, you hang out, you take a picture, it's great. Jesus says, don't be deluded into that. Don't be thinking that you're going to get in, get on a ride, and ride with the rest of the world to the end. It's not going to be a memorable day at the park to follow Jesus. He pops that sort of balloon with his words this morning and tells his disciples that day and speaks his words to us this morning with a very simple but kind of painful understanding. The idea that following Jesus means we're going to stand out in the crowd. And, it, and, and if we follow Jesus and we don't stand out in the crowd, then we've got something to think about. We should differentiate from the world. And if we don't, then we're in trouble, which says a lot as our campus will be filled up with about 1,100 people at the beginning of the school year. And if our school, if our value system, if our message is exactly the same, if people come to myself and, and Dr. Hollitz and they say, this is great, this message we got is exactly aligned with everything we've ever heard in the popular culture then we, I, we failed. 
So this is a great Sunday to think about not how we connect into the world and assimilate into it, but even more and a little bit more painfully, how we differentiate from the world. I've been a pastor for 31 years. They told me at seminary I wasn't going to make it. Matter of fact, I've got a letter sitting in a file somewhere where my New Testament prof said, you're never going to make it. (laughs) I should put that one up on my desk. Here you go, big guy. 30 of those years or so have been here at St. John's in Orange. The first 15 years were relatively simple and easy. The last 10 years have been arduous. My hair starts falling out and graying. That's just part of the aging process. But I'm reminded how the church is becoming more and more differentiated from the culture in which we live. Things were easy in Orange County in the mid-1990s. We had big churches everywhere, lots of people going to church. Orange County was then still predominantly Anglo and Christian. Why? Calvary Chapel was huge and Pastor Chuck preaching line by line and verse by verse was still claiming and hanging on to the remnants of the Jesus movement of the 60s. Crystal Cathedral and Dr. Schuler, whose great-grandchildren now go to school here, they were cranking. South Coast Community Church was the big church in South County. And a guy named Rick Warren had a cute little church out in the middle of nowhere off a proposed toll road. Who'd ever thunk? We had Christian bookstores that were of size and capacity, both on Catella and Tustin, and again on Tustin and Chapman. And if you couldn't find an appropriate card at one of those two, You were just a little too picky in finding a card. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things. But it's a different world. And we're not going back to the mid-90s. We're not going back to yesterday. We're living in the here and now. And now we're called in this verse and, and this set of passages as Jesus turns and, 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 and his preaching becomes painful. Heather in her sweet voice says, this is the gospel of the Lord. I want to say, no, it's not. It's just painful. But it's real. How we differentiate from the culture and from our social order signifies to whom we belong and what we're all about. Issues have come from Sacramento that have made leading a church in a Christian school extremely difficult and arduous. The red tape we must go now to relate to to paying people, musicians and coaches and anyone who's part-time. Man, the list of demands from the state on the church is onerous. we got to screen volunteers and train them in a whole different way. And I'm so grateful that you've been so gracious about that as we have trained over 1,000 volunteers in our church and school to support the ministry that we have. the red tape and all that goes with it, the state preschool standards, all the rules, all of those things lead us to see how we are a light shining in a dark world. Or as Jesus said in Matthew 5, we are the salt of the earth. And as if the procedures and policies weren't enough, what do we 
How do we differentiate when we think about what we believe? How about this for an example? I believe that the family is the fundamental building block of society, the central unit by which God refreshes civilization and society. We believe that a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. We believe the injunction to be fruitful and multiply means that children, boys and girls, are raised best in families, and families that are aligned with the love of Jesus and values that come from the Scripture. Love God, love people. Who would have ever thought that what I just spoke from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 would be controversial? or be considered as some sort of hate speech? How do we differentiate from the world? And how do our values differentiate us from the values of the world? Well, let's come back to Luke chapter 12 and think through that a little bit. Jesus says, do you think I have come peace into this? Do you think I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. So if we're like the world, then we've failed. But when we hold on to Jesus, even when it's painful, even when we're alone, then we're doing what God's people have done for millennia. We're not the first generation of people being called to hang on to faith and the name of the Lord in a painful moment. Matter of fact, God's people thrive in those moments. How about the Old Testament people? They thought they had it all figured out. They came out of Egypt. They had their houses, their lives, their barns, all their stuff. They had big farms. They had lots of food. They had a powerful military. They had everything focused around the temple. Everything was good until they were all carted off to Babylon, taken into a foreign land with a foreign faith, and they thrived. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, names that are familiar, Esther. For such a time as this, in a foreign place, with a foreign faith, with foreign values, the people of God held tightly and tenaciously to the name of the Lord their God. And the promises of God were made real for them. And the promise of the Messiah was pushed generation by generation by generation until Jesus was born. And God's people thrived at the edge of the culture. Or how about the New Testament, where Rome dominated the world? Rome had political acumen, a sexualized culture, a huge army, and the Roman army held peace in that whole part of the West. But then a guy named Jesus, recorded by a historian named Josephus, was said to have started a, a movement in a little backwater place named Israel. Maybe he was an insurrectionist, maybe not. Maybe he could stand up against Rome and maybe not. But there were people who said that that Jesus, the one named Christ, was the Savior of the world, according to a few people. But the word of Jesus worked its way all around the Mediterranean. Big cities were turned uh, away from greed and avarice and, and, and turned back to the Lord, or turned for the first time to the Lord. And ultimately, about 500 years after Jesus was dead and buried and risen from the dead, his name supplanted Caesar as that which ran the empire, the world, 
and all things. Jesus said, go to the ends of the earth and a ragtag group of women, children, and fishermen made the name of Jesus ring. Fascinating to think about. The word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 1. As God's people, we have something the world doesn't have. Something that makes us who we are. Something that makes us strong and resilient and powerful. Paul writes, I pray that you will know how great his power is for those who have put their trust in him. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. This same power put Christ at God's right hand in heaven. This place was given to Christ. It is much greater than any king or leader can have. No one else can have this place of honor and power. No one in this world or in the world to come can have such honor and power. God has put all things under Christ's power and has made him to be the head leader over all things for the church. The church is the body of Christ. It is filled by him who fills everything in every way. Power of resurrection isn't just an Easter power that we celebrate one day a year and go, man, that's great. It's cool. We went to East End Trumpet and Horns of Tiffany and great. We sang those hymns. It was fabulous. He only preached a 12-minute sermon because so many people got up communion. It was great. No, 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 no. That power of the resurrection, power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that stirred a dead Savior, that power is your power. The power that raised Christ from the dead rests in you through faith in the one who rose from the dead, who lives and reigns now and forever. Rome had a day, Babylon had a day, Assyria had a day. Every culture has come and gone, and what prevails and what is sustained? The power of faith in Jesus Christ. What is God's will and what is God's plan? Well, God's will and God's plan is that would people would know the truth and come to the knowledge of Christ and be saved. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the good news. That's the power that attaches you and me and all Christians for all time by faith to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It's our power given given by the Spirit of the living God. You ask me and say, Pastor, why do Christians prevail when it's really hard? And I tell you and say, because it's the power living inside of us. We see something bigger. We see something grander. Our value system has proven itself not over a generation or a three-year shot. Our value system, love God, love people, care for those in the community who are helpless and hopeless, reach out to those who are broken and hurting. That value system goes all the way back to the early church and the people of God coming out of Egypt. It works. And it works because it's true. And it's true because it comes from God Himself. You can argue about a lot of things, but arguing about the reality of the effect of Christianity in the world and the prevailing nature of a movement that was started by one man and brought out through 12 disciples, phenomenal. Three pieces of this 
that I'd love for you to take in. Three pieces that, that, that out of this, Luke and Ephesians thinking, what a blessing. First thing to remember and hold in your heart, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is ours. It's yours. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes we feel tired and worn out at the edge, the, the fabric of our life kind of fraying at the edge or, or thinning in the middle. But it's that power that raised Jesus from the dead that gives us incredible strength and a resilient nature. People will punch and punch and punch. They'll say and talk and argue and all of those things. But he who is in you is greater than he who is in and from the world. And it's the power of God that we have through faith in Jesus Christ that forgives our sins and brings us peace with God and blows up the enemies of the cross. It's good news to us who believe and it's a scandal to those who don't. But our light shines brighter the darker the culture and our salt is tastier when the culture is bland and ignorant. The power of the resurrection is your power. That beautiful piece from Hebrews 12, right? Hebrews of ask away when you get to heaven. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, you ask them who prevailed and who won and the blessing and the benefit of following the Lord. First piece, the power of God and the resurrection is yours. The second the church of Jesus Christ will prevail. I don't know about you, but my father taught me to have good posture. Part of it was, uh, you're a Klinkenberg, right? You're a Klinkenberg. I got that a lot. You need to keep your mouth shut. You need to be good in school. After all, you're a Klinkenberg. You're my son. Jeez, I'd change my name to Smith or Johnson. It'd be a lot easier. Put your shoulders back. Put your chin out. Carry yourself like a Klinkenberg. Don't put your shoulders down and be hunched. People think you're a loser. Christianity, Christianity, put our shoulders back and our chin out a little bit. Not only do, do we win and prevail in the end, but the only guy who ever rose from the dead and was witnessed by over 500 people who saw him having been risen from the dead, that's the guy we follow. Shoulders back, chest out, hearts full prevailing at a tough time in a tough place. We are confident because we have Christ and His power is our power, the power to prevail, the power to transform hearts and lives, leaders and governments, and to lead people from darkness to light. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And third, all things are under His feet, everything. 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 Control is an illusion. The fact that we think we can control this and that and this and that, if we got to control it, then it's too small. I spoke of being a pastor for 30 years, 31 now. And I can tell you this, that I'm more about the things I can't control than the things I can right now. And people say, can we try this? And I go, sure. Can we do that? Sure. You want to give this a whirl? Sure. 
Sunday night, we've had families meeting together. Didn't show up on a strategic plan, didn't show up on a document. What did we do? We opened the campus, people hung out, and 100 people started hanging out, doing their thing. Well, how do you control it? How do you count it? I don't know. I'm not too worried about that. Right? All things are under the feet of Jesus. He died. He rose again. The power is His. God oversees all things. All things in this earth are under the feet of Jesus. Now, as your pastor, I've been out to that cemetery an awful lot lately. And I got some good news for you. We turned the water on. It's really nice out there. We're going to cut some trees down for those of you who, you know, you have plots and stuff out there. We're ready. We're, we're cleaning it all up. I'm sorry that it got to be looking not, not so nice. But when I do those burials out there, I always think in my heart, and sometimes I'll articulate, that that cemetery is a place of victory, not a place of defeat. People go out and visit tombstones and all of those things every day. As a matter of fact, if Fairhaven doesn't open the cemetery lot by about 9 o'clock, either I, Tim Bescher, or Betsy Kuna will get a phone call, and they'll say, the Lutherans are dying to get into the cemetery on Fairhaven Street. If the Lord Jesus comes before he takes me home, I hope to sit with my wife on Fairhaven Street and watch those in Christ rise from the dead. All things are under his feet. There's going to be Christians who will be raised to eternal life who will go, <laughs> that's, that's right. I thought I was going to sit here for a while, but that's right. Jesus, he promised to raise me from the dead. And I was baptized into him. And I belong to him. And he prevailed in the end. And now I too, along with Jesus, will be raised from the dead. And I think there's people who are going to be raised in the other way who are going to go, huh, we thought those Christians were Stupid losers the whole time. Huh. Guess we should have thought and believed a little differently. But at that point, it's a little late to repent. Those darn Christians were right all along. God's plan is that people would come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. An aging Paul writes to a young Timothy. So God moves. He moves in history and culture and people groups. God moves to achieve that purpose. And for us at St. John's, he provides a school and a structure and a ministry and a mission field and every opportunity and every resource that we could ever possibly need. I'm so excited that we get to have Sarah Mourner be on our staff here. We couldn't ask for a better sermon. I'd offer that it's in her DNA. I knew and served with her father and have known her mother for a long, long time, huh, Charlotte? We need Sarah. We need her to reach out to the young people. The young people who are still kind of like, well, you know, maybe this, maybe that, maybe I believe and maybe I don't. We, we need someone who can sit with a 16-year-old a who's being acculturated into 
sin and grossness and be able to lead them back to the clear promise of God with a smile on her face and a hammer in her hand and joy in her heart. We're going to welcome you, Sarah. Really, really glad you're here. We're reminded that in that, that God provides teachers and preachers and servants and volunteers and so much more. And that each of us and all of us who are engaged in St. John's and the ministry of the gospel here will prevail in the name of Jesus as God works his will out in and through us that all people would come to a knowledge of Christ that they would know the truth and that they would be saved. In the precious prevailing name of Jesus, amen.